Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? I'm reading from Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's pray. God, we thank you for a morning to worship um, you and to proclaim who you are in song. Um, I thank you for this sermon series for us to focus on Barnabas, a man just like us, um, and his example to show how we should encourage and build up and, and train others um, for your kingdom work. I pray that our church, that Lachlan Springs, would be a people um, who would engage those around us, engage the lost um, to make you more known. I pray with da- for David as he's leading us this morning that your spirit um, would just be so sweet to him for us to hear the words that you have for us. And we ask this all in your name. Amen. There was a long time, like an extended period of time in my marriage, where Nick and I did not have a TV. And it, we're, not, we're not big TV people, but we're also not those people that are like completely against it. We're not too cool for TV. We just lived in a country where the TV was awful. And so there was really no reason to have it. And, and during that season, during those years, we filled that void with movies. Like we would have our little laptop and we'd rent some movie from iTunes and we'd sit on the couch and we'd watch it. I'm talking three, four times a week. And when you're watching that many movies... Um, eventually you run out of movies to watch. Uh, there's no more blockbusters. There's uh, no more kind of big hits that we've all heard about. You go through all the archives. And next thing you know, uh, you find yourself desperate. And so you go to the lists of all the film festivals. And, you know, you're like, okay, well, this, this got a good review from Sundance or this one something at Cannes or the Venice Film Festival. So let's watch this. This is probably fantastic. Um, sorry, Caleb, wherever you are. Uh, we stopped doing that after a while because almost invariably we would see these films that, that you know, critically acclaimed and had won all these awards at these film festivals and, and they were kind of slow and plodding and, and the people were, were just kind of normal people with like regular conflicts and it's a little bit disconcerting because you identify with it a little too much. It's like I want, if I'm watching a movie, I want to escape from reality for a couple of hours. I don't want to be confronted with it every day. Um, and, and then like in the middle of a scene, the movie just ends. Like just suddenly the credits start rolling and you're like, what? Like that's it? That's all I get? 
you're waiting for the climax. You're waiting for the resolution. You're waiting for everything to be tied up in this little bow. And next thing you know, you're just staring at your wife on the couch like, what did I do with the last two hours of my life? I'm never going to get them back. Daniel just read a passage from Acts chapter 15 for us. For the last six weeks, we have been studying the life of Barnabas. The verses that Daniel read to you this morning are the credits rolling on that story. Welcome to the thrilling conclusion in the tale of Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Acts chapter 15, verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. Roll credits. That's it. That's all we get. From that verse, that's the last time we see Barnabas in the scriptures. It's not really satisfying, isn't it? After six weeks, we want, we want a, a big conclusion. We want a triumph. We want, I mean, at least, at least give us some sort of martyr scene, right? Give me something. But he gets on a boat and he sails off and that's the last we ever hear from Barnabas. Now, for, for, for you guys that haven't been with us for the last few weeks, we've been We've been walking through the Gospel of Acts using this, this New Testament personality of Barnabas kind of as a framework. We've gotten to know him a lot over the last month and a half. In Acts chapter 4, we're introduced to Barnabas as the church. It's, it's, it's brand new and it's growing, but times are really uncertain and dangerous. And we don't really know if the church is going to survive. And in that moment, this man named Barnabas shows up, he had sold his land in Cyprus, brought all of the proceeds, laid them at the disciples' feet. It's through acts like that that Barnabas earned his nickname. His name was Joseph, his nickname was Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement. Now Barnabas pops up again, Acts chapter 9. We've got this guy Saul, and he is a Pharisee, and he's the great persecutor of the Christians, and he experiences a dramatic conversion on the Damascus Road. And next thing we know, Saul is caught between two worlds. You know, his old Jewish buddies want to kill him because he's converted, and the Christians that are now his brothers are a little wary of him because... Well, he had killed a lot of them. So he's kind of caught between these two worlds. And it's Barnabas that steps up in that moment and takes Saul to the disciples in Jerusalem and says, Guys, I have seen the Holy Spirit working in this man's life. I have seen what God is doing. Accept him. Bring him into the fold. That was Saul's introduction to the other apostles. Barnabas did that. He pops back up. Acts chapter 11, you've got this kind of upstart group of believers in Antioch and, and they're the first real body of believers that, that weren't Jewish, they were Gentiles, they had no connection to the Jerusalem church and this conservative Jerusalem church doesn't really know what to do with them. They send up Barnabas who's now become a leader in the church and they're like, go check out these folks in Antioch and let us know what's going on. Barnabas shows up. 
sees the Holy Spirit moving in that congregation, affirms the church, encourages those people, ends up staying and teaching, recognizing the ministry is too big for him. So he goes back to his old buddy Saul, brings him along. They kind of tag team teach. The the Holy Spirit moves. The church begins to explode. You know, believer after believer every day in this dynamic, amazing church that's growing in Antioch. Acts chapter 13. By this point, we see Barnabas. He's built up this diverse, incredible team of leaders. Let's call them trustees. In the church in Antioch. See what I did there? Uh, In the church in Antioch. and, and, And these leaders feel the Holy Spirit moving. And they send Saul and Barnabas off on the first ever organized missions journey, thereby becoming the first mission-sending church in the history of the world. And Acts chapter 13 is the story of Barnabas and Saul on that missions journey. And it's, it's on that journey that we see Saul, now known as Paul, the Greek version of his name. Saul's the Hebrew version of his name. And Paul now begins to take kind of top billing. Barnabas very willingly fades into the background a little bit into a support role for Paul, the fiery, dynamic missionary. And now in Acts chapter 15, we have the conclusion of Barnabas' story, at least as far as we get. Now in Acts chapter 15, throughout the entire chapter, we see two different conflicts. The first 35 verses outline in great detail... This doctrinal conflict in the church, there were those that were still saying that Gentile believers, those that had accepted Christ as the Messiah, in order to be saved, had to also begin following Jewish law. It caused great controversy. Paul and Barnabas are at the church at Antioch, and they're, they're kind of leading these debates, and they're talking to the people saying, no, saved by faith alone. They end up taking the debate down to the church at Jerusalem. They have what's known as the Jerusalem Council, where everybody gets together to kind of do a deep dive into this doctrinal issue. Peter tips the scales. They affirm salvation by faith alone. Write a letter, send it back up with Paul and Barnabas and several other church leaders so that they could encourage the church there at Antioch. And there's much rejoicing. Little Monty Python. Anybody? Nobody? Okay. Um, they go to the, back to the church at Antioch and, and there's, the, there's incredible rejoicing because this burden has been lifted off of these people. So we have conflict, resolution. That's the first 35 verses of Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, verse 36, we see another conflict. And you think, okay, conflict resolution. But this one doesn't turn out the same way. You see, in these these verses that Daniel read for us this morning, we see a divide between the mission's dream team of Barnabas and Paul. Suddenly there's this conflict they can't seem to get over. And what was that conflict? Okay, so we've got the Jerusalem Council. We've got this triumphant letter. Everybody's celebrating in Antioch. And Paul looks at Barnabas and says, Hey, let's go back to all those churches that we planted in our first missions journey. Kind of take a victory lap. 
Let's go back to these places we went to and let's, let's talk to them. Let's teach a little more. Let's encourage them. Let's pray for them. Pray with them. See how they're doing. And, and Barnabas is like, that's a great idea. I'm in. I'm going to call my cousin John Mark down in Jerusalem, and we're going to bring him on with us. And Paul's like, hey, hey. Pump, the, pump the brakes a little bit, buddy. You see, Paul doesn't want John Mark to go. The reason Paul doesn't want John Mark to go is on that first missions journey, Acts chapter 13, 13, verse 13. We see that John Mark was on that missions journey and he left. Like right at the beginning, he bounced out of there. We don't know why, we don't know the reason, but we know that he deserted Paul and Barnabas on that first missions journey. And Paul hasn't quite gotten past that yet. I mean, you can see Paul looking at Barnabas and saying, we need to do this. We need to go back to these churches, but I don't have time for John Mark. I don't have time for whatever is kind of going on in his spirit. I don't have time for his internal turmoil and conflict. I don't have time for his baggage. He's just going to weigh us down. He's not going. In these same verses, we see Barnabas. And he is, he is convicted. He is determined to take John Mark with him. And it's that conflict... Not doctrinal, methodological conflict that causes a division that ends up in a split of the great missionary team of Barnabas and Paul. Guys, first of all, I want you to hear that conflicts happen. For me, every time I read this, every time I think about this, every time I ask myself, why would Luke who writes with the precision of the physician that he was, include this story, I am am strangely encouraged because I've had these conflicts in my life. Barnabas and Paul just couldn't get past this thing. Now, the second thing I do when I read this is, like most of us in this room, I start to try to figure out who was right and who was wrong. I mean, that's our human nature, right? You've got this great conflict, you've got this great missions team, and they split and they go completely separate ways. Who was in the right and who was in the wrong? Well, the easy answer is Paul because he's Paul. He goes on from this moment, unlike Barnabas who kind of fades into the background and is completely lost to history after these verses. Paul goes on to be Paul. Paul goes on to be the greatest missionary of all time. Paul goes on to write over half of the New Testament. So Paul must be in the rightness. Well, the counter argument is okay, but Barnabas stood by John Mark, gave John Mark a second chance. Barnabas was so full of grace He loved on this young man in the same way that he had given Saul that second chance in Acts chapter 9. And John Mark is the same Mark that wrote the earliest gospel we have, the gospel of Mark. 
The gospel that was used by Matthew and Luke as an outline. The gospel that was the basis of three of our four gospels. So we can look at that and say, okay, well maybe it was Barnabas that was in the right. Because by standing by John Mark, we were given the earliest gospel that we have. I would submit to you this morning that Paul and Barnabas were both right. Not because of the outcome of their decisions, but because they were following the convictions that God had laid on their hearts in that moment. You see, you see Barnabas and Paul had very different ministry styles. Paul was famously singularly focused determined, persistent, almost to a superhuman level. Paul's commission, he writes in several of his letters, was to make the word of God fully known throughout the world. And so, with that singular focus, with that singular conviction, Paul would look at a person and say, what can that person do for the work of God? And if the answer was not much, Paul moved on. Because the only thing in his life was making the word of God fully known throughout the entire world. He didn't have time. So if Paul would look at a person and say, what could that person do for the work of God? Barnabas, on the other hand, would look at the same person and say, what could the work of God do for that person? You know, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, the great rehabilitator. The one that would affirm the movement of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. Paul's mission was the spread of the gospel throughout the known world. Barnabas's mission was John Mark. Neither is bigger than the other. If Paul and Barnabas were both right, we need to fully embrace the idea that their rightness, the rightness of their decisions was not decided by history. The rightness of their decision was not decided by the fact that everything turned out okay. Paul was not right because he went on to be Paul, because he went on to be the greatest missionary, because he went on to write half of the New Testament. Paul was right because he was true to the conviction, the commission that God had laid on his heart. And he recognized in that moment, I need to make the hard decision. And God is calling me to spread the gospel to these places. And I cannot guarantee that John Mark is going to help me do that. Paul was right because he was true to his conviction. At the same time, Barnabas was not right because Mark eventually turned it all around and wrote the gospel of Mark. If Mark had never figured it out, if Mark had abandoned Barnabas on that journey, Barnabas would have been just as right because he was true to the conviction God had laid on his heart. My, my dad was a sucker. I mean, like... You don't ever let him go to a car dealership because he's the one that's going to pay more than the asking price because the car dealer is just trying to save money to go to grad school. Like, he's that guy. Um, I can't tell you how many times my dad would just suddenly 
put on his coat at 10 o'clock at night and start walking out the door. And I'd say, Dad, where, where are you going? Well, I just got a call, and there's a couple in Valdosta, Georgia, and they've run out of gas, and they're stuck at the Greyhound station, and their mother is dying in the hospital in Louisville, Kentucky, and they got my phone number from somebody, and they said I would get someone that could help, so I've got to go to Western Union and wire them $200 so they could get to Louisville. I'd say, Dad, you know that's a lie, right? My dad would say, probably, probably. But what if it's not? And then he would look at me and he would say, David, if there is ever a doubt, if there's ever a shadow of a doubt, my convictions compel me to always err on the side of grace. My guess is that couple in Valdosta, Georgia took that $200 and did God knows what with it. Anything other than buy two Greyhound bus tickets to Louisville, Kentucky. That doesn't mean my dad was wrong. Because in his life, the Lord compelled him to err on the side of grace. You would love for this story as Barnabas defends John Mark, as Barnabas gives his cousin the second chance, as Paul saying, you know the way this is going to end. You would love to hear the rest of the story and Barnabas and John Mark get on that boat and they go back to Cyprus And the gospel is proclaimed and churches are planted and there's an explosion. There's a revival. We don't don't see that. After these verses, Barnabas kind of fades to black. The credits roll. You see, after these verses, Barnabas was lost to history. We don't know what happened next in his life. He was lost to history, but he was not lost to God. You see, Barnabas, his ministry, his service did not end on that boat to Cyprus. His service did not end on that day. We don't know what he did next. Guys, there are times you are called to something in your life. And no one will ever know it. And that's okay. In, in my family, we have kind of, a, kind of a standard rule that if you cook, you don't clean. And my wife, being the fantastic cook that she is, it's created a world in which I'm normally the guy that's doing the dishes. Which is fine. I'm happy to do that, especially how well I'm fed. Uh, it's the very least I could do. But certain times, you know, if we're, if we're entertaining or we've got some people around or it's a really late night, the, the, the kitchen will stay dirty until late into the night. You don't want to stop a party and go do the dishes. So after everyone goes to bed, I will go back to the kitchen and do the dishes. 
almost invariably, I will do all of the dishes except for some reason I would leave like that one thing. A cup or a serving spoon or a ladle dirty in the sink. And it drove Nick crazy. And I never could quite put my finger on why I would do that. So after all the times, Nick would come to me and say, why did you do all the dishes and leave that later? Like of all, it would have taken 10 seconds of all the things. Why would you do that? And as I did some self-exploration and tried to figure out what would motivate me to do that, I came to the conclusion that in those moments when I was doing the dishes after everyone went to bed, if I left the one thing, Then Nick was going to wake up the next morning. She was going to see that ladle. She was going to be reminded of how dirty the kitchen was before she went to bed. And she was going to think, man, my husband is the best. Because of how hard he worked. You see, I needed credit. I needed her to remember what I did. How often are we just like that in our ministry? God has called me to this thing and I need you to know that I did this thing. I've got to put this picture of me on this mission trip on Instagram. Not because I want people to know the plight of these people I'm serving, but because I want people to know that I'm serving. We've all been there. Because we're desperately seeking the approval of men. We're desperately seeking the approval of those around us. Hannah, you're so good. All those things you do. How do you, how do you find the time to serve? It's a little old me. Just doing what I can. Paul himself talks time and time and time again throughout his letters about the dangers of seeking the approval of men. You know, in Galatians, the very first chapter, one of the first things he says is, guys, I don't care what you think, because I'm not here for you. I do this for the Lord. You know, in the third chapter of Colossians, we're we're reminded by Paul that everything we do, we should do for God and not man. All that's based on on Jesus' teaching himself time and time and time again. I mean, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus just bam, 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 talks about the dangers of serving for the approval of man, the dangers of of practicing righteousness in front of men, the dangers of, of praying in front of men, the dangers of giving generously in front of men. Jesus says, you do that, you've already received your reward. Congratulations. All the way back to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 2. Seeking the approval of men is described as as a cracked vase that won't hold water. When Jesus says, if you are practicing righteousness, if you are praying, if you are giving generously for the approval of those around you, you've received your reward, you are pouring water into a cracked vase. And you know what? That water is going to leak right out and the vase is empty again. But it's when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's when we are serving purely for the honor of entering into the service of our Heavenly Father. That we are filled eternally 
with a satisfaction that can't be understood by those around us. Six weeks we've spent on this man Barnabas. And today we come to kind of the unceremonial conclusion of his story. What sets him apart? What justifies spending a month and a half looking at this man? I mean, in reality, we don't really even know his role in the early church. It's not clearly defined. We have these, these massive chunks of, of Acts, this historical account of the growth of the early church immediately after Jesus' earthly ministry. We have these, these huge chunks where we focus on Peter and, and his leadership in the early church and, and, and his leadership amongst the Jews, his leadership in Jerusalem. We have these huge chunks where we focus on Paul and his missions journeys. And then Barnabas is just kind of seemingly randomly peppered in there. We don't really even know what he did. Because Luke doesn't focus on his deeds. He focuses on his character. Think about it. Barnabas did nothing that was superhuman, right? He never stood up in front of a giant with a slingshot and a couple of rocks. He never... um, He never helped tear down the walls of Jericho. He never healed anyone. We never have records of some compelling, passionate sermon that whipped the crowd up into a frenzy. You guys have looked at the entire life of Barnabas as we know it. Name one thing he did that you couldn't do. Maybe that's why his story is both incredibly compelling and incredibly disconcerting. It's that movie that's so hard to watch because the characters are just people. There aren't explosions or grand adventures. There are normal conflicts and normal actions, and it's a little too close to reality. And then at the end, there's no real resolution. And there's nothing we can see in the story that separates that story from our life. You see, all Barnabas did, Acts 4, Acts 9, Acts 11, Acts 13, Acts 15. All Barnabas did was the next right thing that God asked him to do. And just like Barnabas, every single one of us is called to do nothing more and nothing less than the next right thing thing in our lives, the next right thing that God is calling us to do. And that that thing is going to look different for all of us. There's no one game plan. We are not called to the same thing, but we are all called to something something. 
The question is, what is that thing in your life? So many of us, we spend so much time worrying about where we think we should be and why we're not there. The decisions we've made in our lives that have, that have brought us to this point. I'm a believer and I, I, I am self-identify as a follower of Christ and, and I feel like I should be over there and yet I constantly find myself here. So who am I and what can I do? We need to spend less time worrying about where we should be and simply start where we are. For the last six weeks, these cards have been in the pews. We've talked to you about the next steps. Carly prayed for us this morning. As we ask the Lord to lead us and guide us into the next steps in our lives. Well, today is the day that some of those chickens come home to roost. We've asked you to take these home and use them as prayer guides. I hope that some of you brought them back because I don't think we have enough in the room for everybody today. Uh, If you brought them back, pull them out of your Bibles. If not, there's some in your pew racks. Pick them up and look at them with me just for a moment. The list of next steps on the back of this card is not a comprehensive list. Not even close. But it is a guide to some of the things that God may be calling you to in your life. Maybe God is calling you to begin a discipline of giving in your life. And you're looking at me saying, Hannah, that's great, and and I would love to do that, but I can't even pay my bills. I'm so upside down right now. How can I possibly give to the kingdom? Okay? Well, like we talked about, we start where we are, and maybe where you are, the next step is just getting control of your finances. The next step is putting together a budget. Maybe the next step is just giving something. Just beginning that practice of discipline. Maybe you're in a place in your life that that you cannot define any sort of life-giving biblical community around you. And maybe the next step in your life is finding that spot, finding that group. Maybe it's simply just starting a quiet time in your life. Maybe the next step in your life is a call to a specific service. Whether it's service here locally in our community, service in this church, short-term mission trips. Maybe you're being called to be a long-term cross-cultural missionary. Guys, I got bad news for you. There are people in here that are called to go on the mission field. Not all of you, but some of you. The way this card is designed, there are two parts to it. As you fill it out, tear it off, take one part home. The reason we've done that is because this isn't our responsibility. This is where God is leading you in your journey. Some of you are Paul's. Some of you are Barnabas's. I can't tell you what God is leading you to do. 
Take it home so you can be reminded every day of that moment that you are committing to the next step in your life. The reason we're going to ask you to leave one half of it is not so that we can check on you. It's not so that we can mark off some sort of list. It's so that we as a congregation know how we can come alongside you, pray for you, pray with you, equip you, and encourage you as you walk this journey Christ has laid in front of you. As you fill those out over the next few minutes, leave that half in the pew racks immediately following the service. We're going to have ushers come and collect those so that we know how to pray for you. I want to invite Carly and her worship team to come back up. And as they do, I just want to lead us for a moment through a prayer time. Take just a moment and bring anything that is separating you from the Lord in front of him right now. Anything that's preventing you from, from an intimate communion with your heavenly father. Just take that, take that to the Lord right now. Now express your gratitude to the creator of the universe that he loved you individually enough to send his only son to pay the price for your sins and that through that sacrifice you may live eternally. finally in this moment ask the Lord, beg the Lord to show you that next step in your journey starting from where you are Father we are grateful beyond words and we are grateful that we have the opportunity to enter into your service we ask that you move amongst us this morning show us that next step it is in your son's precious name that we pray amen